Hi, welcome to our worship from St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. My name is Stuart. It's great that in these difficult times we can join together wherever we are in the world. As always, I'd encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel, like our Facebook page and visit our website at saint-ninians-stonehouse.org.uk to find out all about the other things that you can get involved in and visit our brilliant shop where you can buy all kinds of handcrafted things including some great new things for Halloween as well as face masks. You can also catch up on any services that you've missed or go back and revisit any that you want to watch again. If you prefer to listen to our podcast version of the service, then you can do that on Spotify, on Apple or Google Podcasts, or on any of your other favourite podcast apps. You can also listen by telephone on 01698 755533, and that's for the price of a local call. Today we hear a really difficult story. It's a continuation of the conversation Jesus is having with the religious leaders in the temple and follows straight on from the parable about the wicked tenants in the vineyard. This is what Jesus says next. Matthew 22 verses 1 to 14 Once more Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it, and went away, one to his farm, another to his business. But the rest seized his slaves, maltreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets, and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe, and he said to him, Friend, How did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Today's reading sounds like one parable, but it's much more likely that it's at least two and maybe even three stories that seem to fit together because they have similar characters and settings. So they must have been all mashed into one story and that's kind of unfortunate because sticking them all together in this way creates a bit of a confusion. But let's give that a go and and see what we can make of this strange and violent story. The king has prepared a wedding feast for his son and he sends the slaves to get the guests but the guests don't want to come. They make poor excuses. So the king sends his slaves again to tell them how good the menu is but the guests still don't want to come. Some just ignore the invitation. Others treat the slaves badly and then kill them. The king is livid. He sends his troops to kill the invited guests and burn their cities. Parables are a kind of story used to help us to think about something else. So this story isn't actually about a king and guests invited to a wedding feast. And other parables were invited to wonder, to dig around and look at a story or an idea from a different point of view. I wonder why... That character did that. I wonder what they were thinking. 
I wonder what that image tells us about the kingdom of God. Parables are usually spacious and sometimes mysterious stories. They leave room for different perspectives and the whole point of them is for us to talk about them and to find wisdom in all our insights, not just to come up with one right answer. You even read that Jesus' disciples had to ask him sometimes to explain what the parables meant. These parables today aren't quite like those others though. They're not spacious, they're not mysterious, and they don't really leave anyone who heard it wondering what they're about. These parables are thinly veiled digs at the religious leaders. The first one tells them that God gave you everything, invited you to come in and join in and to share in the feast, but you didn't want to. Instead, you mocked God and killed his messengers. Well, now you're about to see what the punishment looks like. All that you have, all the power and position and authority and your wealth, the whole structure that you've created to keep yourselves on the top will come crashing down. This is where the parable and real life meet. Jerusalem did come crashing down. Their seat of power, the temple, was destroyed by the Romans in 70 CE. The story is an example of why we need to be very careful when we read the Bible. We need to do a little bit of work just to make sure that we understand what's going on in the community this story of Jesus comes from. It was written 10 or 20 years after the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem. And it was written by a community of Jews who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. The term Christian hadn't been invented yet. They were the people who were living with the fallout of this traumatic disaster. And their own community, the authorities, their neighbours and even their families were deeply suspicious of them. But why? When any disaster happens, people look for someone to blame. It might be the leader of a government or people who seem not to be doing what they should or even God. People wanted to put the blame for the destruction of Jerusalem on this community of Jesus' followers. As though things had sometimes been okay until Jesus and his band of followers had come along and ruined everything. It was far from okay. It was the Romans that destroyed Jerusalem. After an armed rebellion. But it's much harder to blame people like you than it is to push the blame onto a small group of outsiders. And this small community of believers responded in the way that small oppressed groups often do. They circled the wagons. They laid the blame at the door of the leadership of the group they had separated from. They became very suspicious of anyone new because people had tried to infiltrate their groups to inform the authorities about them. It's not an understatement to say that this Gospel of Matthew contains much evidence of a community living in a traumatic time. We see it sometimes in stories like these, heavy on judgment on others, especially the authorities, and harsh consequences for those who don't make the right choices. That all seems pretty bleak. But it's not like the invited guests didn't have a chance to change their mind. The king sends his servants twice. The guests would have their date in the diary. They knew the wedding was going to happen. It was difficult to be precise about when all the food would be ready in those days though. There were no gas ovens, things didn't come in pre-packed bite-sized chunks. You had to light fires and prepare everything and cook everything. So instead of telling people to come round at a specific time, they would send the servants to tell the guests when the food was ready and that they should come now. But to do that leaves the host as a hostage to fortune. The food's cooked, everything's ready. But what if nobody shows up? I've witnessed that in real life. 
Around the time I left school, I worked as a DJ at the weekends. That meant I got to go to everybody's parties and get paid for being there. There was one party though that I'll never forget. It was the 18th party for a young woman and all her so-called friends from school had told her that they were going to come. Except they didn't. It was one of the cruelest things I've ever seen. She was left with just a few of her real friends and family and a whole load of food and a disco. What happened next though was brilliant. The function suite was downstairs in a pub. The guy who owned the pub went upstairs and invited the Saturday night customers downstairs to the party. And they all came. And it was one of the best parties I've ever been to. That's what happens in the second part of this group of parables. The slaves go out and invite people, gather them in from the streets, the good and the bad, and they join in the wedding feast. Remember, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders. You were the ones who've been invited, he's telling them. You were the priests, the one who were given a seat at the table. The menu was fabulous, it was all prepared, but you didn't want to come. You made a fool of the king and killed his messengers and there's a price to pay for that. It's to be on the outside, looking in while others join in the feast. So the servants go out and invite everyone they can find, anyone they can find. We read that the good and the bad all end up there together in the banquet hall, enjoying the party. Wait a minute. That can't be right. The good and the bad get to come. That's not the comforting tale we tell ourselves. That's not the story we tell ourselves that, that God loves everyone, but what really we mean is that God loves people like us. People who think like us and behave like us and vote like us. We like to imagine ourselves as the people out on the street who are invited in, out of the cold, to share in the great feast. We didn't ever expect to be here with the likes of them. And that's what the second part of this story is about. Everyone's invited. But, and there is a but, all of a sudden the king appears at the wedding feast. He notices there's a guy not wearing a wedding outfit. How did you get in without the right clothes on? And this is one of those things that seems really strange to us. Sticking those two parts of different stories together doesn't help either. If the guy is at a wedding feast at the last minute, dragged in off the street, then this seems awful harsh to throw him out for not wearing the right clothes. But it's a parable, and it's probably not a continuation of the previous story. Just like the parables we read about the vineyard aren't part of the same story, even though they have the same setting and the same characters. So let's look at this as if it's another parable told to the same people, the leaders in the temple. The king shows up at the party, but where has he been? It seems like the party is in full swing and the guests are all here, but the king has been elsewhere. Is that how it is with us? God is missing. He's left us here on our own to get on with it, to look after ourselves. It doesn't really matter if we make the effort because, well, it's not like God's going to turn up and notice, is it? But it does matter. It matters a lot. The guest who hasn't bothered to follow the dress code is thrown out. The Jesus of Matthew's Gospel isn't a rule breaker. He's the perfecter of the law. The one who will show us that living within the rules is the way to be really free. That doesn't make sense to us though. Rules are restrictions, things that stop us from doing things. What people forget is that rules are the boundaries for our activities. 
The rules of football, for example, don't say anything about overhead kicks. They don't say anything about 60-yard passes or last-ditch tackles. But they set the boundaries within which players can be creative and imaginative. If everybody follows the rule, then the game's open and flowing and nobody's worried about deliberately getting hurt by another player. And so it is with life. The rules God gives us are to set us free. Love one another. How would we live in these times if we followed that very simple rule? Would we wear our masks? Would we self-isolate if we had symptoms or were waiting on a test result or had a positive test result but no symptoms? Of course we would, because our first thought would be about the well-being of others, the good of the community. And we would know that others would be looking out for us. The people we know would drop us off food, check in on us to make sure that we're okay. And we wouldn't be worried about losing work or income because people would look after us. As the guy at the wedding discovers just looking after yourself and doing what you want, that's the point where it all goes wrong. Not just for him, but for the whole community. All the guests at the wedding need to go home now with the story of the man who was thrown out as part of their experience. In Matthew's Gospel, the invite for, is for everyone, but, but it demands some kind of responsibility from the guests. Invites come with an ask. They ask that we all join in, that we all play our part, that we all follow the rules. Because when we do that, we enter into the best party ever. Love divine, all love's excelling, joy of Alpha and Omega 
Let us pray. Lord God, you invite one and all, so here we are. You make space for us, whoever and wherever we are. May we feel your welcome and extend that same grace to others. Wherever we have been, whatever brings us to this act of worship, may we experience encounter with you, living God, and may that encounter transform our lives. However unlikely it may seem, may encounter with you Transform our despair into hope, our fear into joy and our loss into new beginnings. Here may we know ourselves seen and heard by the living God, loved as we are and made new by intimacy of relationship. Forgive what we have been, renew what we shall be, and take us from here inspired to serve you in the world. Keep on working in us and through us, until we extend our reach and our arms in welcome and you are worshipped as you ought to be in every corner of the world. Good or evil, black or white, male or female, straight or gay, rich or poor, young or old, we seem incapable of seeing the whole colourful spectrum that you have created and each of us created in your image. We have a compulsion to label and to categorise to separate and demonise anything that saves us having to be responsible for one another and justifies us with holding all that we feel we have earned. And while we are busy hoarding, your children continue to suffer and we are too busy to notice, far less make a difference. Lord, give us wider arms and bigger hearts and greater understanding to know that sharing what we have will not diminish us. You bless us so that we might bless others. So as we pray for wars to end, may we refuse to invest in all that causes destruction. As we pray for homes and for the homeless and food for the hungry, may we be willing to share the space and the wealth that we hold so tightly. Prize open our hands and our hearts to care and share freely. Heal the blindness that prevents us from seeing and our muteness that prevents us from speaking out against injustice wherever it is found. And give us wisdom to know how to change things for good and how to empower others to enable change too. God, who includes each of us, inspire us to be inclusive. Hear us as we join in your words, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, 
now and forever. Amen. Each time we meet, God throws a party. He's glad that we came, delighted that we made the effort. You are God's special guests. So remember that as we leave our time together. God the Creator, Jesus the Son, the Spirit, our guide, makes time for us each and every day. So go with the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, with you now and always. Amen.